Well, hey, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, Jody, I, I was really excited whenever you shared that because today we're going to be talking about unity within the body of Christ. And I think it's so beautiful the way that God orchestrates these things together. Um, so Ephesians chapter 4 has a lot to say about unity in the body of Christ. But as you're turning there, I wanted to share with you a story about a time where myself and a friend of mine were unified uh, and it brought great results. Um, several years ago, I was up here with our associate pastor at the time, Andy McFarlane, and, and uh, we're real good friends. And uh, I, I learned very early on in, in our relationship and getting to know him that he was a prankster, loved to prank people. Um, so I took that as a challenge and we would prank one another kind of back and forth every now and then. Uh, one time for Valentine's Day, he thought it would be appropriate to, to print out a, a picture of his face, just smiling real big. And he, he got on Photoshop or something and put a really pretty pink flowy border around it. And uh, I don't remember the words that it said exactly, but it said something like, uh, you know, bro, I love you so much, or, or something along those lines. And, and uh, so he, he printed out like dozens of these pictures. And in my office, he took out all of the pictures in my picture frames and replaced those pictures with his picture. And, uh, and so one day I walk in, into uh, work here and I, I go into my office and I'm looking and I'm just seeing his face all over my office, literally all over my office. I thought, my goodness, this is not what I was expecting, nor wanting to see to start my morning. But I found out that that wasn't as far as it went. He took the liberty to fold up some of these pieces of paper and insert them in between some of the pages of the books that I study and into my file folders in my filing cabinet. And years later, I found one just like a couple of months ago, but years later, I'm still finding these little pictures of his beautiful face, we'll just say beautiful, uh, in my office. And so I was like, man, I'm gonna, I gotta get back to him. I gotta get back at him. So a few weeks later, it was his birthday, and uh, I decided that I was going to uh, give him a wonderful present, only I wasn't going to give him anything. I was just going to wrap his stuff and pretend like it was a present. Uh, but I was low on wrapping paper, so I just used toilet paper. And I went through his office and I wrapped everything in his office individually with toilet, I don't know, did you ever see that, Brother Billy? I don't know if you, it was probably a good thing that you didn't because you would have thought, what in the world are these guys doing? But I wrapped everything. I wrapped his chair, I wrapped his desk, I wrapped his books, I wrapped his pens and pencils individually. I wrapped everything, his, his pictures on the wall, I wrapped them and hung them back up so nicely. I took the light bulbs out of the light sockets and wrapped them up and just left them on his desk. And, and you know, I was being a, a good friend, but I found out early on that he liked to prank. And, and so one day he came to me and he said, hey, I got an idea. He said, Jonathan Sprawls is coming up to the church to do some work today. He's a painter, if you don't know him. And uh, he, too, enjoys pranking. And uh, so he said, today, while he's here, we're going to do something. I don't know what yet, but we're going to do something. So I thought, okay, that, that, that'll work. Um, 
It probably wasn't the greatest time to do this because the week before this particular moment, uh, he and I think Jared Hogue and Andy had decided to mess with my truck a little bit. They took some uh, electrical wire and wired my blinker to my horn. So whenever I turned my blinker on, every time the light flashed, the horn went off. I didn't know that they did this. And so I was, I was leaving the church. This might tell you how often I use my blinker. I try to use my blinker well, but I guess I don't all the time. But I left the church, crossed the railroad tracks, turned left onto 59 without having ever used my blinker. Um, and so I was driving down 59, headed towards Atlanta, and I had to stop by Walmart on my way. And uh, naturally, there was a red light. And there was already someone in the turning lane turning right into Walmart. And so I pull up behind them. And I stop and I put on my blinker. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. I'm like, who is honking? What is going on? I could not think of the, for the life of me what was happening. So I it, it finally, like, I'm seeing the flash, you know, on the corner of my eye. And I'm here and I thought, oh, my goodness, you have got to be kidding me. So I turned my blinker off. The rest of the day I had to go without using my blinker because I didn't want people to think I was rude, but I also didn't want them not be safe. But anyway, so this had happened, and a week later, Jonathan is here, and he's doing some work. He's painting the foyer out there, and uh, we decided we were going to, to get back at him, although Andy was also the one that, anyways, it doesn't matter. And uh, so we were wanting to do something to his truck. Well, the problem was he parked his truck right outside those front doors right there. And he knew that we were going to be up to something because we had been at it all week already. And so he was very careful. And so I went to him uh, and I said, hey, man, can I borrow your keys to your truck? I was going to move your truck. Uh, Brother Billy Dunn was parking in the fire line. He said, no, I'm not giving you my keys. <laughs> I thought, man, it. So he already knew we were up to something. And so later on, Andy's like, okay, listen, I'm going to tell him that I need a tool and hopefully it's in his truck. He says, whenever we go out there to the truck, you be on the opposite side of the truck, and if he unlocks that door, you, if he unlocks his truck, you know, with a little key fob, he said, just barely pull one of the doors open to where he doesn't notice it's open. And he said, that way, even if he locks his truck, the door will still be open. So I go out and I hide behind his truck, and Andy comes through the hallway, and, and he says, hey, Jonathan, I, I'm repairing something. I don't know what, what all he told him, but he, he told him he needed a tool, a paint scraper or something. And, and uh, so he's like, do you mind if I borrow one? And Jonathan's like, you know, sure. He's like, I'm not giving you my keys, though. I'm walking out there to the truck and getting it for you. So he's like, okay. And so he walks out there, and, and uh, he, he had the, an avalanche at the time. And so he, he gets the key, and he opens the, the back of the tailgate, and he lays the key down right there on the tailgate. And Andy just kind of reaches over and pushed the unlock button while Jonathan's crawled up inside of there, messing with stuff, making racket. He just kind of, and so whenever he does that, I pull the door open just a little bit. They get whatever they needed, and they go back inside. I was like, yes, we did it. On the way back inside, Jonathan locks his, his truck. He said, you're not getting me this time. But we did. Uh, we took off his tires, put them inside his vehicle, we printed off pictures of our faces. I guess that was something Andy liked to do. I don't know. 
And we taped them to the tires, put the seat belts around the tires, and you know, we, we had my face on one tire, Andy's face on one tire, Jonathan's face on one tire. And 30 minutes later, he comes storming down to the office side of the church. He's like, why? I just want to know why. He's like, a better, a better question is how? How did you get in my truck? And we're all just like, man, I have no idea what you're talking about. He's like, what are you talking? Your face is in my truck. You know exactly what I'm talking about. So we laughed and had a good time about it. And I loved it. But here's the thing. Whenever I went to Jonathan the first time and asked him for his keys, he shot me down. He knew I was up to something. And so I found out I cannot do this on my own. I can't pull this off on my own. And so myself and Andy, we banded together, and we were able to pull it off then. And I know this is a a very long, drawn out, I'm sorry, but it's a very long illustration for the way the church should be. We should work together together. And there are certain facets and certain areas that one person is going to be wonderful at. And there's going to be other areas where another person is going to be wonderful at those areas. But it takes the whole church working together in unity. So the title of today's message is this, Better When We're Together. Better When We're Together. I want to read from Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Paul is writing this letter to the, to the believers in Ephesus. And Ephesus is a very large city. It's the third largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. So a very diverse city. And Paul is giving them instruction on how believers should act with one another. And so he says this, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, One God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Wow, I love this. This is good. Are y'all ready to get in? Let's do this. So Paul is writing them this letter and telling them how to get along. Now, as I mentioned before, this was a very large city, and it was made up of a very diverse group of people. He's writing to Jews and Gentiles. Whenever you read the New Testament, usually a a letter is written to one or the other. Uh, The book of Romans is written to the Gentile believers in Rome. Uh, The book of James is written to the Gentile or the Jewish believers. And so we see in the New Testament, a lot of the books are written to one or the other. Ephesians is written to both. So Paul is giving instructions to Jewish believers and new Gentile believers. And the the core of his message in Ephesians is this. You need to get along. You need to be united together. But I love this. He tells them, if you look back, I believe it's in verse 3. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. He says this. He says, keep yourselves united. I love this church because we don't have to create unity within the body. 
we have already been given a unity in the body, but it is up to you and me to keep the unity in the spirit. Keep the unity in the spirit. What do I mean by that? Well, see, we may be different, and in verse seven, Paul says, however, we've all been given special gifts. He says, so in other words, we have one God, we have one faith, we have one baptism, we have one, and he's going through all these things, but however, we have all been given special gifts. In other words, he's saying this, we're all different, and God has even gifted us with different things, but we all have something in common. That's Jesus Christ. We all have something in common. That's our hope in God. He says, you don't have to create unity around something else. You already have unity in the Holy Spirit, but it is up to you to keep that. And the reason I think that he says that is because a lot of time we'll read this verse of Scripture where it says to um, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. But a lot of times, instead of seeing united in the Spirit, we see uniformity in the Spirit. And we look at the Word of God and, and we think that He's asking us to be the same. Keep yourselves united. Like, we gotta be the same. We gotta think the same. You gotta have the same mindset. You've gotta have the same skin color. You've gotta have the same political opinions. You've gotta have all these same things. And this is why, I love this, that, that Paul took the time to mention this unity in the Spirit not uniformity in the church, unity in the spirit. See, he, the, nowhere in the Bible does it say we need to be uniform. It says we need to have unity. And so we can have our differences. We can have the, these little things that I, I'm not gonna be like you, you're not gonna be like me, I'm not gonna have the same gifts that you have, but we can still be a people of unity. Paul is writing this letter to Jews and Gentiles to old believers, to young believers, to people groups with different traditions, people groups with different beliefs on how they think God should be worshiped, different opinions on governments and social constructs. It sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? But he loves, I, I love that, that he says we can still be united because we have the spirit of God. And so I think the big question a lot of time is, how do we find unity in a day and an age where we're so different? Where there's so much conflict, so much division, so much diversity in thoughts and opinions. And listen, church, I think that this is a very timely message because there is a very important election coming up. And what, whichever way it falls, whichever way it happens, whichever way the cookie crumbles, I think that the Lord wants us to know that even if this person is elected or this person is reelected, that we as the church can still have unity. We can still have unity because it's not up to our government to keep the church unified. We already have something to keep us unified. Ooh, that's good. That's good. Mm. So I hope that we don't get caught up in the idea that we should be uniform. Instead, we should live in unity in the spirit. In Ephesians chapter four, I wanna read verse one right there one more time. Paul says this. He says, therefore, therefore, 
I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Therefore, I had a professor in Bible college that he would say, if you're ever reading in the word of God and you see the word therefore, you need to know what it's there for. Because even these words, a lot of times we'll just look at therefore, I, a prisoner, blah, blah, blah. We'll just kind of brush over it. But it's so important because what Paul is saying in this moment is he's saying, hey, we need to live in unity, but everything I'm about to say all hinges on what I've already said. So we're in Ephesians chapter four. Paul says, therefore, in other words, he's saying, hey, did you listen to the first things I said in Ephesians one, two, and three? Did you hear it? Because that's all going to decide the way the rest of this letter to you goes. And so I wanna show you what we have to be united in as the church. Paul lays the groundwork in the first three chapters, and this is what it says. I've got a little uh, slide up there for you, Julie. It's the one that says graph on it. Yep, thank you. So these are the things and the, the scripture references of what Paul says that we should be united on and agree on as the church of God. It says this, you have been called to be children of God by adoption. That's what he tells them in uh, Ephesians 1.5. God has accepted you. God has redeemed you. He has forgiven your sins. He has made known to you the mystery of his will. You have been made heirs of God. Come on, y'all, this is good stuff. He has sealed you with his Holy Spirit. He has made you alive together in Christ. He has saved you by his grace. He has seated you in heavenly places in Christ. He is working in you to prepare you to accomplish his eternal purposes. He has brought you near by the blood of Jesus Christ. He has reconciled you to God. He has given you access to the Father through the Holy Spirit. He has made you a fellow citizen of the household of God, and he now dwells in you by his Holy Spirit. Therefore, I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling of God, for you have been called by God. Wow. This is good. Paul says this, and he's writing to a church where they're having such a hard time getting along, where they have so many different opinions, so many different viewpoints, and he writes them and he says this, hey, listen, this is what God has done. This is what God took the initiative to do in you. Therefore, you live a life worthy of his calling. Live a life worthy of the calling that you've been given because you have been given a calling. This is the stuff that we should be focused on. This is the stuff that we should agree on. Listen, you may not even agree with anybody else in here about who you think should be the president of the United States. And I know that's such a dividing issue. But listen, that should not be in the church because we have a greater unity. It's the spirit of God. And I wanna show you just how far this unity goes uh, almost 10 years ago now, I hopped on several planes and flew across to the other side of the world and went to four different countries in Southeast Asia. One of the countries we went to was Malaysia. And we, we got off the plane and we loaded up on some vans, myself and, and several of my friends from Bible College. And, and uh, we got in these vans and we started driving through the jungles of Malaysia almost six hours into the jungles. And we stop and we get out of the car and we were going to 
guest minister in this church there in Malaysia. So on our way there, our, our missions director, uh, she's telling us what's going to happen. She said, we're, we're going to this church uh, in a little village called Slim River. And she said, whenever we get there, we're, we're going to uh, just praise and worship with them. Uh, she said, they obviously don't know English. She said, but we'll have some interpreters. And, and uh, she said, so whenever we get there, just the, the first day that we're there, we're just going to enjoy the service with them. Uh, and then tomorrow we are going to be ministering to them. We had several things we had prepared to minister with them. And so we get there. It's on a Sunday. We left early, early that Sunday morning. They uh, held church off until we could get there. I'll remind you, this is a small village in the inner jungles of Malaysia. <laughs> and we get there, and they said, here it is, here's the church. And I thought, man, I don't know if I want to walk in there. That roof looks like it could come down at any moment. But everyone else was going in, so I didn't want to be the only one standing outside. So I, I walk in, and this is, it's this little bitty room. It was somebody's house. And they, they just, they slept on, on pieces of cardboard and blankets, but they had moved all that to the side. And, and we're in someone's house. That's their living room, their kitchen, their bedrooms, everything, all right there together in this one room. And I remember the pastor got up and, and he's wearing uh, jeans that have holes in them and a shirt that's kind of threadbare and it's got holes here and there. And his glasses don't fit just right. They're kind of whomper jawed on his head and, and he's not wearing any shoes. And, and we walk in and the floors are dirt floors. And, and I remember walking in and the people in that room, the expression of joy written all over their face, they come and they, they hug us, they welcome us. They're talking to us. I don't understand a word that they're saying. The pastor gets up. He knows a little bit of English, but he starts leading worship. He's the worship leader too, and the offering collector, and the church secretary, and everything else. And he starts leading worship in a language that I have, I don't know, but how to say please and thank you and, and hello in. And he starts to sing, and the people in that church, they start to clap, they start to dance, they start to lift their hands in worship, and the Spirit of the Lord showed up. And even though I didn't know a lick of what they were saying, I knew that there was something that unified us. Come on. Church, we have so much more that, unify, that unifies us than divides us. And if you can go to the other side of the world into the inner jungles of a, of a foreign country and go into a church service where you don't even understand their language and you can still feel the unity, you can still feel the brotherhood, the sisterhood there, you can still feel that sense of family even though you don't know their names, you don't even know how to pronounce their names. <laughs> Come on, we've got something good to unify us. Hmm. So point number one, the church must be unified. Not uniform, unified. Here's point number two. The church must do the work of Christ. The church must do the work of Christ. So we're gonna uh, jump down again to verse seven. 
Paul says, however, he says, we have all these things to unify us. We've, we've got one Father, one Spirit. We've been called to one glorious hope, all of these things. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. In other words, we're not all going to be the same. Even though we're in the same body, we're not all going to have the same function because God has given us different gifts. And now jump down to verse 11. It says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. And I know a lot of times some people have said, I've even said it before, that, that's the fivefold ministry. Well, it's actually four because pastors and teachers are considered one. <laughs> so that'd be the fourfold ministry, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. These are the gifts that Christ gave to his church. I love this. I was, I was speaking to the youth on Wednesday night. I said this, listen. Of these four things, I most closely relate to pastor and teacher. I believe that's the, of these four things, I believe those, that's the gift that I operate the strongest in. You know, you think about the apostles. The apostles is a pioneer. They're the creative ones in the church. I don't have a creative bone in my body. I, I struggle to, to think of good ideas. And whenever, if you ever see me have something visual up here, it was a struggle for me to think of that because I'm not a creative person. And so I thank God that he put apostles in the church to lead the church, to, to, to give uh, good direction and, and creativity in all those areas of the church that I'm not strong in. One of the gifts is a prophet. Now, I, I believe, you know, the Bible tells us that, you know, I think a lot of times we just think of prophecy as just foretelling the future, but that's not all prophecy is. Prophecy is declaring the word of God. And so we all have the ability to declare the word of God over our lives. But, you know, I don't feel like this is the strongest gifting that I have. I, I know people that are like, man, I had a dream last night. And this and this and this happened. And I just woke up this morning and I just felt the Holy Spirit say, this is what it means. And I'm like, dude, I wish you would do that for me. Because I have dreams all the time. And I'm like, man, I don't know what they mean. <laughs> I feel like I don't have a prophetic bone in my body. And then we've got the evangelists. These are the people that really make me mad in a good way. They're the people that are able to take the gospel and present it in a way that's appealing and attractive. I can get up here and preach all day long. This is where I'm comfortable. This is where I, this is the thing that I know. But if you take me outside of the church, if you take me into Walmart and you point out a stranger and say, hey, go tell them about Jesus, I'm going to be like, uh, 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 Jesus, he, uh, I think he died or something. I don't know. Uh, I'll walk up. I'll freeze up. I'm not comfortable around strangers. Believe it or not, I'm not a people person. That's how I know that God must have called me into ministry because I, I'm not comfortable around people. You put me on a stage with a microphone, I'll be fine. But you put me one-on-one -on -one with somebody, I just, I don't know. I lose it, church. It's not my strong suit. And so I'm thankful for the evangelists in the church that God has given them that ability to, to speak and to preach and to make the gospel attractive to people. Now, that doesn't mean just because you're not strong in these things that you shouldn't uh, try to operate in these giftings too. We should. And we should do things that are outside of our comfort zone. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying that God has gifted each one of us 
with special gifts. And I'm thankful because the areas that I'm weak in, you are strong in. I need you in the church. That's good. And I love this because he goes on to say in verse 12, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Listen, you've got your apostles, your prophets, your evangelists, and your pastors and teachers. Their job is to equip the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. I don't know where we got this idea in American Christianity that the way to bring the lost to Jesus is to bring them to church. I don't know where we got that idea. That's, did you know that's not even why God created the church? He created the church so that we could build each other up, so that we could be equipped to go out of the doors. I'm so thankful for Brother James and Sister Pam, how they go out and they spread the gospel. They're so good about I, I, I've seen so many of you that, have, that will go out and you'll tell your neighbors, tell your friends about Jesus, and then you'll bring them back with you and be like, oh yeah, that's good, yeah. And I, I, don't, I, I enjoy it, I love it. We need that in the church. But can I, be, can I be real honest with you? It's not Pastor Billy's job to do the work of the ministry. It's Pastor Billy's responsibility to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. And our job is to go out and do the work of Christ. That's the job of the church. Wow. I love it. I love it. And we look so often for things that divide us. Have you ever noticed that this generation, this moment of time that we're living in, people enjoy being offended. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? We're like looking for ways to be offended. It's incredible. I, don't, I, I didn't watch the, the Democratic National Convention, but I saw some of the highlights from it. And in it, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the guest speakers was uh, poking fun at, at Vice President Mike Pence for mispronouncing Kamala Harris's name. And so they were like poking fun at him. And the next day I saw a, a news clip from a different news source. And this person was all mad at this woman for poking fun at Vice President Mike Pence. He was like angry. And I thought, my goodness, that's so trivial. That doesn't even matter. Like why do we get so up in arms about such little things? We need to learn to... Quit looking to be offended and just learn to be unified together in the body of Christ. Because we need each other. I want to show you a picture of a baseball player. His name is Mike Trout. He's an eight-time all-star. He's won the American League Most Valuable Player three times. He's uh, received the Silver Slugger Award seven times. He has a career batting average of 305. He's hit, 100, or he's hit 1,347 hits. 296 home runs, he has 772 runs batted in, 201 stolen bases, and if you don't know anything about baseball, you're like, dude, is that supposed to impress me? It's really good, so if it doesn't impress you, just know in the back of your mind, that's really, really good. He's considered the best overall player in Major League Baseball right now, and he's a shoe-in for the Hall of Fame. Last year, he signed a 12-year contract with his team worth $426 million. 
That's the second richest contract in the history of all North American sports. He is a really good player. You want to know who he plays for? The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. There are 30 teams in Major League Baseball. The Angels are the 29th best team. (laughs) Next to last. And they have Mr. Baseball on their team. Listen, this is a good illustration for us to know. The church cannot do well with just one person or one type of people. We need diversity. We need different thoughts. We need different mindsets because it's those things, whenever we put them together, that work well together. The church can't do it with just one Lone Ranger Christian. Can't do it with just one Lone Ranger Christian. We need each other. Come on. Speaking of which, we're going to be starting back Kids Church and and our nursery here in three weeks. And we need some people (laughs) to help out. Come on, we got to have the church together. We got to be unified. So if you're interested, hit me up. Anyways, I love this. We need each other. Here's the last point. Point number one is the church must be unified. Point number two is the church must do the work of Christ. And point number three, the church must be a place of spiritual maturity. Here's one thing, here's one interesting thing that I've learned about the church and God's purposes for the church. And it's that you can get alone in the word of God at home and you can study the word of God and you can pray 26 hours a day and you can do all of these things and you can deepen your relationship with Jesus but I'm going to say something bold that I've learned from the word of God. You will never spiritually mature outside of the church. You can deepen and develop your relationship with Jesus, but you will not spiritually mature outside of the church. Check this out. In Ephesians chapter 4, this is what Paul says. He's talking about the giftings and, and uh, the responsibilities. And In verse 13, he says this. These things will continue, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that's Jesus, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Did y'all catch that? He talks about spiritual maturity. And what he's saying is this, you will only gain spiritual maturity when you're unified with your brothers and sisters in the church. Wow. And I believe it. Because there have been times where I've been offended. My poor little heart has been offended. And you know what? I've stuck it out. And... 
Years later, I'm able to look back on that offense that I so willingly accepted into my heart. And I've been able to look back and say, man, I was real foolish to let that offend me. But even though it did offend me, I realize now that I'm better for it and that I've matured because of it. You see, whenever we're around other people, you're going to be hurt. The church is full of imperfect people. If we were all perfect, we wouldn't even be here. We just, God would just, I don't know, just bring us on up into heaven. Listen, we're a church full of imperfect people. I'm an imperfect person. If you're looking at me to be the standard that you should live by, then don't look at me to be the standard that you should live by. It says we will grow up to the full and complete standard of Christ, of Christ, when we're unified with the church. So can I lovingly say this? If you have been offended, if you've been hurt in the church, I'm sorry, I apologize. I really do, I'm sincere about that. But we as the church, we have to grow up from that. We've gotta be able to look at those hurts and offenses and say, you know, golly geez, that really hurt me there. But I'm not gonna let that bring division between me and my brothers and sisters. That's, that's a good word, y'all. I love this. Paul tells us that this maturity in believers will come from three things. Unity in the spirit, unity in our faith, and unity in our knowledge of Jesus. When we're together in those areas, faith, spirit of God, and the knowledge of Jesus, then we will grow and produce maturity in the Lord. But what is spiritual maturity? So we know that we become spiritually mature whenever we're unified, but what does that mean? What does God mean by being spiritually mature? And uh, I used to think that spiritual maturity was memorizing a lot of Bible verses and being able, whenever someone was doing something wrong, to be like, oh, no, brother, this is, the Bible says blah, 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 just right off the top of my head. I used to think that that was spiritual Maturity. I thought spiritual maturity would, if, would be if I were able to argue my theological opinion with somebody else and win an argument. Honestly, that's what I used to think spiritual maturity was, was just knowledge about the Bible. But can, can I be real honest with you? Spiritual maturity is not those abilities. It's not the ability to even understand the difference between exegesis and hermeneutics. That's not spiritual maturity at least not according to the word of God. Spiritual maturity isn't just learning apologetics or memorizing the whole Pentateuch. That's, that's not the, the spiritual maturity that God is, is wanting us to go after. This is what he says is spiritual maturity. It's whenever we're able to overlook offense and forgive. In this portion of scripture that we've read, Paul says over and over, forgive, be patient, be humble, be gentle. Next time I preach, I'm going to be preaching on gentleness. I'm so excited. It's going to be so good. But he tells us to do all these things, to live with one another. He says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in peace. I think a lot of times we as the church, we're good about making an effort to keep ourselves united in peace, in the spirit. Paul didn't say make an effort. He says make every effort. Whenever we do that, that's spiritual maturity. And then he goes on to get into the nitty gritty and he says this, he says this is spiritual maturity. Stop telling lies and be truthful. 
This is in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, towards the end of the, of the uh, chapter there. Don't let anger control you. Quit stealing. Well, Pastor Sam, I don't steal. Well, are you working hard every minute you're on that clock? Because if you're not, you may be stealing. Maturity in the Lord is to give generously. Give generously of your resources, your time. It's to use your words not in an abusive or foul way, but in encouraging ways. Maturity in the Lord is getting rid of bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Maturity in the Lord is being kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. This is what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 of what spiritual maturity is. Can, am I the only one here that is just so happy that that's what God considers to be spiritual maturity? Because if you ask me to exegete every single portion of the Bible, I'm not going to be able to do it. I don't have that kind of knowledge for every portion of every part of the Bible. He doesn't say we have, we have to know all of our hermeneutics and have it all correctly. He says this, you're spiritually mature by the way you live. And I want you to notice all these things that he lists as being spiritually mature have to do with our relationships with others. That's good. If you want to be spiritually mature, we need to learn to be unified in the church. That's good. I want to show you one illustration and we're going to pray. I've got a paper bag here with me. Excuse me, I need a drink of water. And I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people that have had a lot of things to say about the church. <laughs> Some of them, good. But a lot of what I've heard whenever people come to me and just say, hey, Pastor Sam, I really need you to pray for me. It's because they've been hurt in the church. It's because there's been offense and I've noticed that whenever we're hurt or we're offended, we will tend to look at the church and think of the church in a different way. And we'll, st we'll start to adopt this attitude towards the church. And the way I want to illustrate that is like this. We'll look at the church and we'll see it for what our eyes can see and know it for, for what's on the surface and we can make opinions and assumptions about the church and say, man, look, it's, it's hollow, it's empty, there's, there's nothing in there. And we can form our thoughts and opinions based on just what we see or what we've felt or experienced, but I love what Jesus, I love what God is, is, is telling us here in Ephesians chapter four. We need to start living with unity. We need to start allowing the spirit to renew our thoughts and our attitudes. In fact, that's what it says uh, in verse, where did I put that? Uh, there it is, verse 23. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. He's telling the church this. He's saying, hey, listen, we've got to change our thoughts and we've got to change our attitudes about the church. Because you can look at the church and say, man, it, it's, it's full of a bunch of hypocrites. The church is, is full of people that are just judgmental. 
But here's the thing, if we would allow the Spirit to renew our thoughts and to renew our attitudes, then we're able to look at something that on the surface doesn't look too appealing. And we're able to allow God to move in and work in us in such a way that we're able to even produce things that we didn't even know were in there. And the Holy Spirit will produce it in us. And we can change our thoughts and our, our attitudes towards it and say, man, you know, this, it seems really hollow and empty, but if we would just learn to just allow the Holy Spirit to renew our minds, to renew our attitudes, to speak in us, that even whenever we're offended and say, hey, this church, I'm just not getting fed there. Y'all ever heard that before? I was going to this church, but I just wasn't getting fed there. Well, listen, you should feed yourself at home. Because the church is a place where we come together and we worship together. It shouldn't be a place where you're just learning about God. It should be a place where we come together and allow the Holy Spirit to to move in us, to work in us, to shape us. But if your attitude the whole time is, I'm just, I don't know. I used to go to this church, but then I went to that church and old Betty Sue over there chewed me up and down one time. I wasn't, I was wearing pants that were way too tight. And they didn't let me on that worship team. They said I couldn't sing. (laughs) Y'all laughing because you know it's true. (laughs) But if we would allow Holy Spirit to change, to renew our minds, our thoughts, and our attitudes, then what you'll begin to see is that although the church does look like just an empty place full of broken people that are messed up, God can still pull some very beautiful things out of it. Here's the challenging part though. We'll never see these beautiful things happen if we choose to be offended if we choose to walk out, if we choose to leave, if we choose to do it on our own, we have to be united in the church and we have to be united in the spirit of God. So this week, this is my challenge for you. Allow the Holy Spirit, ask him, say, Holy Spirit, change my thoughts towards the church. That offense that I've had in my heart, help me change my attitude towards that person, towards that thing, towards that situation. Help me change because I know that you have me here for a reason and I don't wanna miss what you're doing in my heart because I feel offended. Instead, grow in unity. Choose humility this week. Choose gentleness. Choose patience. Choose forgiveness and understand and operate in the role that God has gifted you in. Listen, the church should never be a place where we come and spectate. We shouldn't spectate at the worship happening. We shouldn't spectate at what the pastor has to say. We should be a church that comes together and operates together and works together and ministers together. Man, I'm excited to see what God does in us whenever we come together in unity. So I want to say this because I think that someone in here needs to hear this. The church needs you.
The church needs you. No one here is excluded. You might say, oh, I don't have a good enough education. Or I'm pretty busy during the week. Listen, the church needs you. The church needs you. And I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking about an event on a Sunday morning. I'm talking about the body of Christ. That's the church, by the way. I, I should have mentioned that earlier. The church isn't this building. This building could burn to the ground tonight, and we can still have church because we are the church. Whenever I say that, I'm saying the church, the body of Christ needs you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your love. God, and I thank you for every single brother and sister here in this place today. God, I pray that we would be a people that would put aside our differences and learn to, to focus on the things that unify us, and that's you, that's your word, that's your heart, that's your Holy Spirit, that's your presence, God. Help us to be patient with one another, to love one another, to, to care for one another and be generous with one another. Lord, I pray that this small body of believers here would be a wonderful example to our community of what can happen whenever we are unified together and unified in you. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for your promises. In Jesus' name, someone say amen.